Now, Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Here's your host, Chris Story. All right, would you like to learn the secret to success in any walk of life, any walk at all? It doesn't matter what you want to do, what you want to accomplish, where you want to go. There can't be a, you know, more than one or two secrets, right? If you're ready for them, I'll share them with you if you make me a promise. You promise you're going to share them with as many other people as possible. So here it is, the secret. If you're ready, pens out, paper out. You could use a smart device. It's up to you. The secret to success in life is blank. Blank. And here's the beauty of it. You and you alone get to fill in that blank. There's as many secrets, there's as many paths, there's as many ways to achieving success in life as there are people. Bury it. That's it. There's not one definition of success that's going to fit all people. There's as many versions, again, of success or definitions of a success as there are people. And before you get upset and say, oh, sounds like ninth place ribbons to me. Nope. I'm not talking about winning a contest, an athletic contest. I'm talking about what is your version and definition of success? And you and only you get to define it. There, there are people that will push children, push our family into some walk of life, some avenue where they do not want to go, didn't want to go, didn't want to become that, didn't want to become a doctor, wanted to become an interior designer, didn't want to become a lawyer, wanted to become a writer, didn't want to become a reporter, wanted to become a fiction writer. Whatever it is, you can, you can hear these stories everywhere, every day. People that have gone many years into their life, decades into their life, and maybe this fits you, I don't know. And then only later say, I'm not on the path I chose. Oh, I'm successful at it. Got the money, got the house, got the spouse, got the this, got that. But I'm just, no, I don't consider myself successful because it's not what I wanted. So you have to define it for yourself. Otherwise, it's a little bit like Stephen Covey told the story often about getting to the top of the ladder only to learn you've leaned it against the wrong wall. But once you've defined success and what success means to you, you have to then get busy and you have to take action. So if you tell me you really want to be an author, but you're not writing every day, or you really want to be fit, but don't have time to exercise, you really want to be wealthy, but I'm going to set a goal and then I'm going to start reading and I'm going to start learning, which is great, but you've got to work towards that goal. It's one thing to read about it, learn about it, talk about it, think about it. Then you've got to take action. Massive action, as Tony Robbins would say, massive action plan. That's called a map. So whatever success is for you, you define it. Then you take the action. Then you decide every single day that you're going to work towards it. And you're going to become what it is you suggest and think in your mind is success to you. Not what I think. I can talk about and espouse the four home formula all day long. And you might go, you know what? I don't really want more than one. Okay. 
No problem. Or I want two. Or I want a fourplex and I want to live in it, Chris. I don't want to really own four other properties or three other properties. No problem. That's, that's a version of success. Your success is defined by you and you alone. You know I'm a sucker for talent shows. My, my family can't stand when I send them videos and such from talent shows. America's Got Talent or used to be American Idol. Such I don't watch it anymore. But um, this particular guy is a sax player, played on America's Got Talent, and he talks about his trying to achieve what it is. He This kid is going to be unstoppable in life. And, and I think he has defined for himself success. And I just wanted to share it with you. Okay, so at the time I picked up the saxophone, I was getting bullied in elementary school. For what? Um, well, my voice sounds a little bit different. You got a great voice. And I looked a little bit different too. And my elementary school nickname was Hammerhead. Because what? I had these knots on my head because I'm premature. I was born at one pound, eight ounces. Whoa. And my vocal cords don't close all the way. So I mean, my voice sound really airy. Right. Students were so negative about my voice. One called me frog and she'd get the class in on the joke. It was relentless. And I actually, I was so in such a dark place. I actually wanted to commit suicide. Oh. Wow. And when you're in that mindset, the only thing you want to do is quit. So you decided to find something to take your mind away from all those horrible people, and it was the saxophone. Yes. That's when I started actually learning how to play. Good for you. Good for you. What a great story. What a great guy. And, and what I didn't capture in that little soundbite I just played for you is him talking about having the cops called the night before he appeared on America's Got Talent because he was playing too loud and neighbors were calling the cops. And, and here he is trying to achieve his dream of what success is. And, but imagine if his mom wanted him to play piano. All right. And he's struggling. I bet you his mother, this young man's mother, never once said, you better practice. No, nobody had to ask him, tell him, suggest that he practice, make him practice. This is his dream. This is his version of success. What's yours? You're listening to The Backyard, a millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Remember, when you hear wealth, I hear health, wealth, and prosperity. How to create that in your own backyard based on what it is you want. What do you want out of life? Well, it's going to depend largely on what you put into life. If you've got a question, real estate question for me, negotiation, business question, or the meaning of life, text me at 907-299-7653. Text your name and question. I'll answer it live here on air. What's fun about this is whenever I put this out there, invariably within 
48, 72 hours, sometimes even longer in the middle of the night or late at night or early in the morning, I'll get a question or somebody will answer a question that I've asked or something put out on a podcast, which means to me that they've gone to ilovehomeralaska.com forward slash podcast and follow the show on any of the platforms that you prefer, Spotify, Amazon, iHeartRadio, iTunes, whatever. But if you've got a question during the live broadcast, text it in right now, 907-299-7653. Could be esoteric, meaning of life stuff again, or it could be uh, real estate-related negotiation. I've got a question that I'm going to answer about down payment. Where do you come up with the down payment? That'll be coming up in a little bit. But what about you? Maybe you've got a question. Feel free to text it in now at 907-299-7653. I live here in New York on the west side, you know. I live in an older building, a much older building. I live in a kind of building like if I want hot water, I gotta let it run a long time. Well, last week I took a bath on Sunday. I started the water on Friday. I'll tell you the one thing in my apartment in the winter, I always know how cold it is outside. I mean, whatever it is in my apartment, that's what it is outside. Good old Rodney Dangerfield. Can't get no respect. Rhonda Johnson gets all the respect. She's coming up in just a little bit with your mortgage moment. Going to focus my conversation with Rhonda today about FHA. And, and in part because I think it's a little bit misunderstood, even by practitioners of real estate. A lot of times us real estate agents forget or kind of misplace in our mind. Now, wait a minute. What are, what are some of the limitations or what are some of the benefits of going FHA? And it's when interest rates are rising that conventional is looking a little less attractive. And suddenly we start exploring some of these other governmental type loans. Um, and But it's good to know, like before you jump into one, what's the, what about the mortgage insurance? Is, is there a big upfront fee? Is it going to follow you for life? Can you get rid of it at 80% loan to value? Kind of where does this happen and so all these questions we're going to explore with the world famous Rhonda Johnson coming up on our mortgage moment plus I want to talk about learning to save because you know the motto here on the backyard millionaire is you cannot save your way to a fortune but you can invest your way to wealth if you can learn to save so we'll be talking about that in conjunction with the question I got about how do you come up with a down payment now the question came in the form of commercial property related and this individual was asking about coming up with a down payment creatively for commercial property. And my, my quick answer, I'll give you, it's one of four answers that I'm going to give. But the quick answer for that particular individual was to consider syndicating, spreading out the burden of the down payment, which also means then you're going to be spreading out some of the upside, some of the equity, some of the cash flow later on with your same set partners. But there's also buyout clauses, things you can put into place that you can eventually, you know, wrestle back 100% control of the property if that's what you want. And if your partners or syndicate uh, folks are willing to do that, invest on a shorter term, which might mean a little higher interest on their money or higher in, in uh, cost of that money. But that was one quick, simple way to kind of circumvent the problem or challenge of not having enough down payment. I'll get into the other three in just a little bit. Stick around. We got a lot more to come here on The Backyard Millionaire. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Time now for our mortgage moment with Rhonda Johnson, Cornerstone Home Lending. You can reach Rhonda online at rhondajohnson.net or call or text 252 
888-252-5682. Rhonda Johnson, welcome back to the program. How are you? Hey, Chris, doing excellent. How are you? I'm great. Uh, last time I was trying to call you live on air and, and realized you were on your way to uh, um, uh, your Fairbanks office and uh, yeah. get the crew all straightened out up there. Everything go well on your trip? It went excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's a great, great group up there. So um, two really, really strong loan officers. It's funny because, you know, working with you all the years that I have, I, I noticed that it's like it's not a coincidence that you end up with great people on your team and people working with you. I mean, you're, um, yeah, I mean, you have a great management philosophy and style. Is there anything you would advise? Maybe somebody's listening and this is outside the mortgage world, but they're, they're listening and they're going, how do I get a consistent crew of good people around me? I mean, what is your, what's your secret or maybe top two things you'd advise? Well, you know, we have a really unique culture here at Cornerstone and we really do, I mean, our, we don't have employees we have or staff members we have team members and and they truly um practice that that philosophy that that we are a team and we're all members of that team and it takes all of us to make things happen and there are just different personalities that fit within that culture and ones that do not and so when i'm talking to um potential candidates and that's the one thing that i look for is how how well are you going to fit into this culture? Because if you want to be a standalone hero or a I'm just here to collect a paycheck and not do my job kind of a person, then it's not going to work in this culture because we have some heavy duty jobs to do. And so it takes it takes a village to make them happen these days. It's interesting. And this is sort of inside baseball. But I was so honored when you asked me to participate in sort of the screening process one time of a couple of applicants you were you were screening okay. and I played the role of realtor which I played pretty well because I've been doing it for you know a couple <laughs> decades and um, you brought these people on onto a call separately from each other but I knew instantly Rhonda I knew instantly who was going to make that connection and it was about personality way more than what they knew about the industry it was about their personality and so it's not lost on me that you're you're throwing some of the bone here to cornerstone that they they've got a great culture and everything and i appreciate that but it's also you i mean the reality is you've i've been with you long before you were at cornerstone so it's it's i say it's definitely something baked into how you work with people on the front end doing the loans but also in the back of house yeah, no, no, you're you're right, and and again, it takes um it takes a certain personality to one fit into the culture and to to um put actually up with you. believe no. believe put up with me, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but to actually believe it and work it and live it and breathe mm -hmm. it and not just a mission statement on the wall kind of a thing, and that's that's what this company truly is about. Our founders are are very very involved in the day to day stuff. We went to a training a few years ago, a ninja training. I think I talked to you about that. Mm -hmm. And when I went to my training, then both the uh, president and the CEO of the company were there attending the same training. And that way they knew what tools we needed as team members to um, implement the things that we learned. And so they went through the training with us as loan officers to uh, know how to support us best with that training. So that's the kind of company that this is. They didn't just say, hey, you have to do eight hours of continuing education, get it done. 
you know, they were right there with us, getting it done with us and, and learned how to support us best with the tools. I think that's cool because we're talking about a nationwide company. You're running the statewide division of it here in Alaska. But the reality mm -hmm. is what you and I are talking about right now is applicable to a one man, two man or a mm -hmm. mom and pop show op, small operation. Um, it, it really matters and it makes a difference, especially when you see somebody who owns a company or is, uh, is heavily involved in management, kind of rolls up their sleeves and they're involved too. It's like it inspires everybody. Yeah, and I think that every one of our um, like regional presidents and that kind of thing um, are are all loan officers and and mortgage people. So they run it from those eyes mm -hmm. on you know knowing what the sales team needs to make things happen and make loans work for our clients and everything. One more thing, just as a tip that I use anyway, is when I hire somebody new, then we kind of create a. Um, a metrics of what we think uh, we want to accomplish. And then about once every one to two months, then we get back together and I rank them on what they said they were going to do and see what I'm seeing. Mm. And then I have them rank themselves on what they see that they're doing. And there's always a gap, right? We never see the same things. So that's how we kind of learn what am I missing or what are they missing? And then we try to close that gap. That is so cool. I love that because it's a, every single one of us. I mean, Tiger was the greatest golfer probably to ever live, has like, what, five coaches? Everybody needs a coach and that person to hold them accountable. Hey, you said you mm -hmm. wanted to accomplish this. How are you coming on that? Is it measurable? Mm -hmm. And are you making progress towards it? I think that's great. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to submit an application <laughs> when we're done here. Um, <laughs> I'd like to come to work for you. I need some accountability. Uh, so let's talk about making loans work for people. Can you describe yeah. on a thumbnail sketch the difference between FHA and conventional mortgages? Well, um, you know, FHA is a little bit more lenient. They have a little bit more flexibility with the qualifying ratios. They have a little more flexibility with the credit scores. Um, so we will kind of use FHA for some borrowers that don't quite fit in any of the other, other boxes. Or um, we need to have a, a different loan limit or we need to have um, a little bit more flexibility on the borrower side of things. So FHA is a little bit more flexible than some of the conventional loans, in my opinion. You know, that's going to bother some people to hear that they're more flexible on the credit, meaning, in other words, you can have a lower credit score. Some people feel like, isn't that disastrous? Isn't that going to lead right back to what mm -hmm. led up to the crash? What do you say to that? Mm -mm. No, no. And the reason why is because I have done some loans for some folks. I had one, I think we've talked about it a while back, but uh, one gentleman had a, a young son. He was three years old at the time. And basically he was a million dollar baby and mom didn't make it through the birth. And my borrower was paying 50 bucks a month every single month for the last three years, paying off these medical bills to have this son that he's now raising on his own. He paid his car payment on time. He paid his credit cards on time. He paid his rent on time. He paid his utilities on time. So there was nothing wrong with him. But because he had all of these collection accounts against him from this um, medical emergency, then his credit score was very, very low. It was 582. And I was able, though, to get him into this mortgage because of all the other great positive things that he had. He was just kind of a victim of circumstances. Did not mean he was not destined to be a homeowner at mm -hmm. all. 
Yeah, I think that's a, it's a great differentiator to, to have this conversation and, and illustrate the difference between FHA uh, having a little softer or more lenient approach towards that credit and being able to look at the humanity and the whole picture of the person versus the the no income, the ninja loans, as they were. No, in, no income, no job, no problem, or low credit, yeah, yeah whatever. We, you know, those, those days of the bad mortgages are relatively behind us, wouldn't you say? Oh, they're way behind us. In fact, um, just to prepare everybody, on September 1, um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have come up with a, a new requirement on lenders that says we have to do a pre-funding quality control uh, audit on our loans, which means that before we can fund that loan, one-tenth of them are going to get randomly pulled and be reviewed by somebody who's not involved in originating, processing, or underwriting the loan. So a, a different person within your company has to review that loan. And they may come up with something the day before closing that says, hey, we need one more piece of paper. Um, so that's being implemented on September 1. Now, Cornerstone has been doing that for a long, 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 long time. We've done our own internal audits. And normally it's never really caused any kind of challenges or delays. But there's going to be some new guidelines that we now have to meet to meet Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac guidelines. So... Just to let you know, we may get all the way through processing, underwriting, and we're in closing, and someone may call you up and say, hey, we need one more piece of paper um, due to this new rule coming up September 1. Okay, wow. And it, I mean, let's just talk frankly. Is that just going to add costs to mm -hmm. the whole process then too? Absolutely. So we have a quality control department already in place that will be implementing this new rule, but there's lots of different uh, lenders that don't. I mean, they're just very small or they're, you know, they don't have the capacity to do that kind of an internal quality control. So that means they're going to have to hire a person to do it. And, you know, it's got to get paid for somehow. Right. So it can absolutely add costs for sure. Talking here with Rhonda Johnson during our mortgage moment here. She's at rhondajohnson.net. And as you can hear from this conversation, a wealth of knowledge that comes from just shy of 68 years in the industry. Yeah, really close. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But you have uh, uh, over 100 years of experience for sure uh, with all the deals you've done. It feels like it. <laughs> I'm going to be exploring some down payment from a philosophical and sort of a procedural, tactical way of overcoming the down payment challenge uh, coming up in another segment. But that said, doesn't, I mean, FHA plays a bit of a role in solving that too because is it 3% or 3.5%? What's the typical FHA down payment? Right. So a typical FHA down payment is 3.5%. Now, we do have some 3% down conventional loans as well. Um, and then we have a product that will actually help loan you that down payment all in one uh, transaction. So for FHA, you can borrow the 3.5% down payment and then borrow the 96.5% for the actual mortgage loan. There's a couple different ways we can handle that. You can defer the payments for 10 years and not pay anything, or you can actually make payments on it to get rid of that three, uh, down payment loan. So we do have some options for basically 100% financing with FHA, as well as like we've talked about the USDA and the uh, VA loans that are also zero down. The advantage with this one, again, is that they allow you to go down to a little bit lower credit score. And uh, they have a, like USDA has an income limit, but FHA's income limit is quite a bit higher. 
So uh, you have higher income limits. You do not have to be a first-time home buyer. And with this FHA one, you could actually buy a single family or a duplex. And so you can't do three or four units, but you could do one or two units with it, which you could not with, say, a USDA loan. Fascinating. There's there's too much to squeeze into one segment. If you have more questions, apply online with Rhonda or open a chat box at rondajohnson.net, or you're welcome to call 907-252-5682 statewide around Alaska, but also a nationwide referral network through Cornerstone Home Lending. Mm-hmm. Rhonda Johnson, thank you so much. Appreciate your hey. wealth of knowledge. Thanks, Chris. Have a great day. I'm going to fight them all. A seven-nation army couldn't hold me back. They're going to rip it off. Taking their time right behind my back. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. We're going to overcome that down payment challenge. Plus, we're going to get into living like you're selling and i want to revisit my permanent solution for a temporary problems with vacation rentals or vrbos in your own backyard stick around we got a lot more to come You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. If you've got a real estate question, negotiations, business, or the meaning of life type question, it's all welcome. Text in at 907-299-7653. I got a question about down payment. I already answered it more or less online here on the program about down payment. Uh, What if you don't have enough down payment for... um, commercial, you know, commercial acquisition. So again, let's repeat the motto from the Backyard Millionaire, which is you can't save your way to a fortune, but you can invest your way to wealth if you can learn to save. So the savings, the obvious, that's the number one answer. Like obviously, okay, don't have a down payment, save for one. And the in that process, you not only become uh, more able, capable, have a little more leverage at your own whim in your account. I suggest having two accounts, actually two savings accounts. One is your reserve account, rainy day account, and then you have an investment account and just watch it build. And it can start off with very small, put a seed amount in there and then just consistently add to it. Over time, you're going to see it build up. So if you can just watch that investment account begin to build. But maybe time is of the essence. Like maybe the deal's going to slip through your fingers. All the other cards are set out on the table perfectly. You need to strike now that don't have that money, don't have any savings built up yet. Well, you have a couple of other options. One, Rhonda talked about in our mortgage moment, there's 100% financing if, if all things being equal. Now, the commercial aside, because the commercial answer I gave, which was to syndicate, possibly come up with some partners that could bring capital or cash to the table and then affect the deal with them as your partners, have it all spelled out, maybe even buyout clause built within so that you get the opportunity to buy them out at some future point. And again, the shorter the term, probably the higher the interest or higher cost of that money is going to be. But who knows, maybe you get the right strike, the right partnership and syndicate out that down payment portion with a, with a percentage ownership then of the overall deal, um, maybe they're just great partners and you stay in it together. Some people literally do this. That's all they do is syndicate whole deals like this. But if you can spread out that 
down payment over a half a dozen people, you know, it's, it's what's the expression? Many hands make light work. Maybe that's a way to overcome it. That's a really good one. Okay, obviously saving up in general, and then no money down deals do exist. Rhonda just talked about two, rural development, has income limitations, has other limitations and strictures as to the type of property and so forth. So that's more about buying a home with no money down, like your first home. It's not not an investment home, maybe, but intent-wise upfront, no, it's not. You're buying your primary residence with a rural development type USDA loan. Then you have, as we just learned, FHA, 100% financing option. Again, one to two family, and that is the intended use, your home. And then if you do end up with a duplex, then of course, obviously, you're going to rent out the other half. Both of those options, at some point, you may choose to move out, keep that mortgage active, and then at that point, rent both sides of the duplex or rent out the house. So it's a great way to leverage your way into an investment and wealth. But let's not kid ourselves. It's not the intended use of those mortgages. So, you know, if down the road you choose to use it that way, great, but it's not what they're intended for. They're intended to get people into homes, to create home ownership and widen that opportunity. Um, so again, no money deals do exist loans. She talked about the FHA 96 and then the 96 and a half and then the three and a half. There was such a thing as an 80-20. I believe those are all gone. I don't believe an 80-20 loan exists anymore, but again, that never was intended for the investor, always intended for the homeowner. So it was an 80% loan first and then a 20% second. Um, so I think those are gone, but what are not gone are opportunities with property owners. There are some property owners that would prefer to not have any money, and you say, well, wait a minute, who? Well, I'll give you an example. I read a book a number of years ago I guess it was probably 15 years ago. No, no, it would have been longer ago than that. Yeah, about 17 years ago, probably, maybe even 18 years ago. And it was called Creating Wealth by Robert G. Allen, who's been a guest on this program. You can go back and listen to those interviews uh, on our website, ilovehomeralaska.com forward slash podcast. And Robert G. Allen wrote this book. It was a second book. The first of his series was called No Money Down. Um, and I didn't read that. I read Creating Wealth with which he explained how to buy property with no money down and other aspects of wealth building. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I can do that. And so I set a goal. Tiffany and I both set a goal. We openly discussed this goal with anybody who would listen. And I know it was 17 years ago because I wasn't here yet. I wasn't on the air yet with you, which was 16 years ago. So I had to be at least 17, maybe 18 years ago. Um, otherwise, I would have shared it with you. I said, hey, I'm looking for, this is what I told people, anybody that would listen, I'm looking for two deals this year with no money down. We were already in the habit of buying two properties, but we wanted to add two more that year with no money down. And then I would get sort of a blank stare from some people, and they said, well, how are you going to do that? I said, I don't know. And But I said it so often, said it enough, and I said it to the right people that two different people said, oh, well, you know what? I have something. I would sell you no money down. They were intrigued, thought it was cool, thought it was a good idea, knew me. We weren't, you know, weren't related to me, but they knew me, knew me well enough to go, I trust you. And then, of course, you don't even have to trust the person because it gets papered with a promissory note and a deed of trust. It gets recorded against the property. So you have a, you have a lien against it. So there was, there was trust, but it wasn't as though it was a handshake. Started out as a handshake, led to some paperwork, led to the deal. 
So we got two deals that year. One was a commercial lot and one was a residential property with a small one-bedroom cottage on it. Both turned out to be fantastic opportunities for us. We still own one and the other, the cottage, we sold for a great profit. So it's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity. So how do you do it? Well, start by accepting it can be done. In my book, The Backyard Millionaire, uh, Oscar being the mentor, August being the mentee, there's this discussion and it takes place in like chapter, I don't remember, like nine, I think, chapter nine of the book, I believe is where No Money Down is talked about. And they affect, uh, spoiler alert, they affect the No Money Down deal together. And August is like, wow, I, I thought this was just a scam. I mean, I thought No Money Down deals were just scams. They just, they, they exist. And it sort of was an eye opener. And I shared that in the story way because, in that story, because it was that way for me when I read the book, Creating Wealth. So we were already three, four years into our investment strategy by the time I had read this. And wait a minute, no money down. So that deal does exist. And then there's a low money down deals as well. And remember, we talked about this before, but I'll repeat it here because it's worth hearing about, is a performance deed of trust can sometimes take the place of a down payment. So if you create a performance deed of trust that piggybacks on top of the actual deed of trust and promissory note, it, it's performance. You will do the following things. Now, you might be uh, low on cash, but high on skills. And so if you don't have a lot of cash you want to invest into the, to the down payment, maybe you've got the cash for the down payment, but not also the cash or the surplus cash to do what you want to do to the property. Like maybe it needs a new roof. Maybe it needs paint. Maybe it needs carpeting or kitchen or whatever. Uh, maybe the yard's a mess. Maybe there's stuff going on with it. You'd like to do those things, but you, you, you need the capital to do it. And if you use it on your down payment, it would exhaust it. So you can do a performance deed of trust if the property owner's willing. And then you have to perform on that within a certain period of time. And if you do that, you've made the investment into the property in a different way than just going into the hands or pocket of the seller. All of this to say, it don't matter how creative you get with this deal, if there's a big encumbrance against the property already, it's probably not going to work. In other words, not you've got to come up with enough to pay off the, down, the debt. So if the person, the seller is willing to carry paper, but oh, it's a $300,000 sale and they owe 200,000 to a bank. Oh, well, okay, you can come up with 200K, that's your down payment, and then there's other closing costs. So the deal has to be structured right. But here's the thing. Remember, the formula is 100, 10, 3, 1. Look at 100 deals, get really close on 10, maybe write three offers, end up with one. So this takes time. Don't be in a hurry, have patience, and just accept that you can learn to save so you can invest to win, uh, look for no money down deals, read about it, learn about it, know about it, talk about it, and then look for low money down deals and or some sort of a performance deed of trust, or look to syndicate the down payment and spread the wealth. Those are just four good options for you to consider. <laughs> you ever get stuck on the Ferris wheel? Oh man, I was up here with my kids, we were stuck, they was crying, freaking out, trying to calm them down. Don't worry kids, we'll be all right. I'm sure that guy running it with seven fingers and a pentagram tattoo, all right, I'm sure. I'm sure he'll have us down in no time here. As soon as he's done smoking that joint, I'm sure we'll be right down out of this deal.
are listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Larry the Cable Guy, one of the funniest people out there. Got a question? You can text it in at 907-299-7653. Question about life, real estate, negotiation, the meaning of life, or like this. What can be done about reliction loss of property due to flooding? Well, that's a great question, presuming you're on a river or a small tributary to a river, a creek, or the ocean, uh, and you're having some loss. First things first, I think, I'll tell you what, my wife and I, about 20, 20, 21 years ago or something like that, bought a home on the ocean. And obviously that's a concern. That's something you take into consideration. And I got some incredible advice from somebody, a contractor that I respected. He said, are you concerned about the bluff line? I said, no, I'm not. And, and I'd done a lot of research. We, we studied the geology. We studied the maps. We studied uh, erosion. We studied that property very particularly. And the neighbors, because that matters too. What's happening on either side of you makes a difference. What happens to you? Um, and so we felt really confident and very strong. We'd engaged an engineer. So we'd done all the upfront costs. And we called it cheap insurance. In fact, here's the thing. I'll get back to the question and the answer in a minute. This is funny. I was complaining around the office about the cost of some of these old aerial maps and photography that we could do some gauging from. They were costing me hundreds of dollars a picture, and I was complaining about it. And my friend Tom Hall said, Chris, it's called cheap insurance. Shut up. I was like, oh, okay, you're right. So I've thought about it that way ever since. But the reality is this contractor that was a good friend, and he said, may I give you some advice? And I said, of course, please. And he goes, don't do anything for a year. Just watch, just learn, live with it. Because sometimes what you do can actually cause and create more downstream effects and, and problems later. Just watch and learn, see what's happening. And in the end, we did just very little and it was proved to be incredibly stable and uh, wonderful. It was a great place to, to live and be for a long time. But the point is, what can you do about it? Well, if you're anywhere within the, the limits of an anadromous stream here on the peninsula, say, for example, on the Kenai Peninsula, well, you, you have to go to the river center. You have to work in concert with what you can do within 50 foot of either an anadromous stream or river or a rivulet or a tributary to one. So you have to be incredibly careful. So you want to consult with fish and game. You want to consult with the river center if you happen to be uh, in the vicinity, like I said, of an anadromous stream. And if you don't know, you better ask and find out. And then the real kicker and the real suggestion is going to be engage with an engineer, an engineer who understands erosion, understands tidal effects or, or river erosion, whatever it is that you're suffering through, um, get a good engineer. And sometimes I might even recommend starting with a, a contractor who's done some of this sort of restoration work. Talk with them. Find out in the real world, what do you recommend? I'll give you an example. The state of Alaska just redid uh, a road in front of a property that we own, and their engineer sitting in an office 400 miles away couldn't have screwed it up more. Honestly, they never came down, never looked at the site, didn't understand what they were doing. And the actual contractor doing the job in the state, uh, the superintendent looked at it and said, God, these people really screwed this up, but it's too late. Nothing we can do. They really messed it up. So you, sometimes talking to an engineer, that's great, but maybe start with somebody a little more boots on the ground, but cover your bases. If you've got any sort of tidal protection zone or anything like an anadromous stream restriction, know what you're getting into before you 
step foot or one shovel scoop uh, goes on or into that bank. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. If you've got a question, send it at 907-299-7653. We're going to talk about living like you're selling and much, much more when we return. Stick around. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story along with Mr. David Webb, bringing you what my mom calls the greatest show on earth. Don't believe me? Ask her. Don't you call my mama no liar now. You can go to my website at ilovehomeralaska.com and start your statewide Alaska real estate search right there. You can also pick up any one of our four books available or these podcasts uh, at ilovehomeralaska.com or talk to any one of our team members. We have a contact us page there. It's time to live like you're selling because one day you will. So um, this is for your home and the investments alike, I would say. let's Instead of say live like you're selling, how about this? own like you're selling. So imagine that your realtor is going to call you this afternoon, going to call you in maybe next 30, 40 minutes, going to call you up and say, hey, got a showing with a cash buyer, need to show it tomorrow morning, eight o'clock. What's the first thing that comes into your mind? Well, the first thing is like, dude, it's not for sale, but, but let's pretend that it's going to be. And, but maybe we're going to rush you just a bit. Instantly, you're going to think about probably what? Three, four, maybe more things like, ooh, not, I'm not talking about making the bed and doing the dishes. I'm talking about, well, there's that one thing that was kind of leaking. And what, oh man, I really need to paint that. And we, we're going to do the lights. Oh, I got the one light that's hanging half down. I was going to finish that. All these kind of things come, come to your mind. Those are all the things that need to be done now, all the way through your ownership. And so I recommend as an owner of investments or your own home, if you're just living there and you have no intent of selling it, have a home inspection anyway. And then follow the recommendations. You end up with like a bit of a recipe for baking a cake um, and just follow their recommendations. And some things you're gonna go, no, forget it. Like I'm in the middle of a transaction right now where a small thing came up about a particular hand railing going up to a loft. And the homeowner's like, no, I'm not gonna. And, and this was um, just their own inspection that they had. And they said, I don't care who asked for it. I'm not gonna deal with that. That's, I don't like the way it's gonna look. I wanna leave it as it is. They can deal with it on their own. And that's exactly what happened. Buyer came along, said, no, nah, we're not worried about it. So it's not like you have to follow everything to a T, but you'd rather know about it than be surprised by it later. So, because here's the thing, every repair looks more expensive to a buyer than it probably will actually cost you. Plus you get to do it on your terms, your timing, and you get to schedule the people you want versus being sort of foisted upon you by the essence of, of timing. So again, own like you're selling because, well, one day you probably will. And I say that even understanding that we promote here on this program, buying hold equals gold, still a better investment or a better use of that money might come along. You want to be able to liquidate it as quickly as possible. That's one of the great things about real estate. It's illiquid. It takes time. To, to transfer that equity into something else. So you can almost never like react so quickly that you go, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Like selling a stock Tuesday that you're gonna use the money Wednesday and then you find out you're not and then you reinvest it, but at higher prices on Thursday back into the market. Anyway, live and own like you're selling. Spend just a minute together on how to invest 
how to evaluate an investment. So we know how to invest. We talk about that pretty often. There's lots of strategies for down payment, using leverage safely, not, not misusing leverage, but using leverage safely. Um, but how do you evaluate an investment property? Well, you've got to design your own metric. My metric will not necessarily work for you. There isn't a one for all formula. So you have to decide what is your goal? What if cash flow is really important to you on a monthly basis? And to that person over there, it's really more about, look, I've got this cash, I want to park it somewhere, and I want it to grow in value over time. And I don't care if it, if it cash flows as long as it's not negative. If it's just neutral every month, fine, I don't care. Even, even if it's negative by, let's say, a property looks really good, except, look, it's going to rent out for 200 less than what it's costing me to hold it. I don't care. So it's going to cost me, what, 2400 bucks uh, a year to own this thing. I don't care because the value is raising at 10 grand a year where it's outpacing it so much so I don't care. So there's, there's two different types of metrics there. Sometimes you can apply them both. Um, in the beginning of our investment career, Tiffany and I were very, very heavily focused on equity accumulation. That was it. If the property would be neutral or even just a negative here and there, it's okay because we were looking at equity growth and then we were going to take that equity and invest it and roll it into other properties because we were in an ascendancy. So that's what mattered most to us. Now when we invest, we want both, but we care most, absolutely fundamentally most about cash flow. That's, that's kind of become our focus, but that's our new normal, our new evaluation, our new yardstick. So don't listen to people that are telling you there's just one way. There's just one way. No, there's your way so long as you know what you're doing and you're finding your way and you're using your yardstick, not somebody else's. So know your why and measure each opportunity against it. I talked last week about VRBO, the solution in every town USA and globally really, but I'm focused on America. How do we fix the VRBO thing in our own backyard? VRBO, you. VRBO, you means you hold the answer because you're the problem. And if you're the problem, you're necessarily the solution. You can make a change. So the solution I offered was to be a decent person. Just recognize that most of the VRBOs you're staying in are going to be in somebody else's backyard, like homeowner's backyard. They're not on vacation. You are. You're not just a guest of the homeowner who is renting you the house that night or that week. You're the guest of the entire neighborhood. And if you behave and you think this way, smaller towns and neighborhoods and HOAs are going to have less and less grief with you, with your property as a VRBO. If you, the guest, would take control and just be conscientious. I say be a decent person. You, they, we are. But sometimes we just forget ourselves. And we're like, I'm on vacation. Turn up the music. Have a great time. And then you realize, oh my goodness, it's 10 o'clock at night. We're out on the deck next door to somebody who's just living there and has to go to work tomorrow and or send their kids to school or whatever it is and it's like they didn't ask for this they're not making money per night while you're staying there as a guest next door so rather than wait and push local municipalities and governmental agencies to crack this open and start foisting regulations on everybody because guess what comes with those regulations taxes they're going to increase taxes. Oh, look at all the window of money we're missing. It's just pouring out of here. We should be collecting more of it. When the reality is, you and I could fix this. So we had this conversation on Thursday last. I kid you not, the next night, the VRBO that's next to my house, I'm sitting out on the deck reading a book, having a libation, just enjoying my evening. 
got the fireplace going. Just a, it was just a beautiful night. The sun was just in the perfect position in the evening to provide a little bit of, not really so much warmth, but just that glow. It was a magical night, except for the guests on the porch cussing up a storm. I mean, like, look, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that I'm up for, for sainthood, but come on. And the music and the cursing, and they weren't like, it wasn't a, a like, you know, call the cops kind of situation. It was just rude and just obnoxious. And so I, I had enough. I walked over to the portion of the lawn in the fence where I could actually see up on the their balcony up there. And I just waved. They turned the music down and said hello, very friendly. And I said, you know, do you mind, if you, if you have to continue to talk loudly and curse, do you mind just going inside? Could you do that inside if that's what you've got to do? And they apologized and said, oh, uh, one of the guys said, I'm hard of hearing. I'm sorry. And it's no problem. Thank you so much. And it stopped. It stopped. I took the matters into my own, my own hands. Now, here's the kicker. On my way back to my wonderful little evening on our on our porch, our deck, I stepped in a fresh pile of Reagan's dog scat. <laughs> and I'm not sharing that with them. I'm only sharing that with you because as far as any of the neighbors could see, I was as cool as a cucumber walking back to the deck, took a seat at the edge of the deck, just kind of looked around, slowly reached down and took off my socks and balled them up and set them aside and then <laughs> turned around and went back to reading my book. You are the solution. I, I don't know. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life talking about this, but it's something that comes up a lot. People are concerned about it nationwide, and you hold the answer to the VRBO problem. The answer is you. So just, just think about that. I mean, I, I've actually tried to practice this myself. I'm not just preaching something. I'm actually following it. When we go to stay in a VRBO, uh, super conscientious is how I uh, suggest that we all be. Well, thank you for being here. I did want to share a quick little joke with you because I think it's it's funny, but I can't tell you why. Why did the real estate agent break up with their calculator? Well, they felt like they were just crunching numbers without any real addition to their life. <laughs> uh, please don't tell anybody about that. Share the rest of the show absent that stupid joke. I'm Chris Story along with Mr. David Webb reminding you, and yes, I do mean you really can make a million bucks in your own backyard. See you next time. 